now about nine months. Okay, we do birthdays. That's right. Do we have anybody with one year? Two, three, four, five, and a six. All right, we got, um, oh my God, Sherry, my brain. Sherry, let's sing happy birthday to Sherry. from a teeny tiny apartment in West Covina and I'm going to tell you we didn't have very much anything there was no way I was going to get even a little bit of a home that I got well I now live in San Dimas wow. in a beautiful mobile home and I listened to God and I did everything he said and if you don't believe me you can ask my <laughs> she's not here but it's Barbara Hensley. Um and I, need, I needed that one because I have you know, I get I drink over people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> anyway, so I was a double winner that way, you know, and every time more will be revealed, but this is the happiest I've been in a very, very long time, probably have my life, and because I fit in my own world, and not everybody has to fit in with me. I, all the things that are big, when I came in here, I was like this, oh yeah, I don't know how you're gonna do this. So I'm not doing that today. So it's like, okay, right. well, I had those morals with the people I'm around, and I strive to have some of their morality sometimes and some of their gifts, and I get them. And it's not an insult. I'm not taking anything away from them. And sometimes I even give it back to them. So thank you for letting me share. Okay, six years. How about seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven? I'll take one for 11. My name's Lisa, and I'll sing. <laughs> I 
to wish and you're all still here. This is freaking so cool. You, nobody left. This is great. Okay. So, you know, this is the first year of my sobriety in 11 years that I didn't practice my speech a month before my birthday. Yeah. I didn't plan it at all. That's freaking improvement for me. Progress, right? Um, I'm so grateful um, for this meeting here at the park. I moved here a year and a half ago. I was in a terrible place uh, mentally. My emotional sobriety was jacked, and um, I didn't have a job, and I was living on a couch, and I was nine years sober and going, what the F, you know? Um, <clears throat> and then I ended up getting this job. I was like, what am I going to do? I won't be able to go to meetings if I move over here, and my apartment <laughs> building's right there, you know, because my dog. And here we go. I got a place where I can come every day if I want to, to a meeting. Um, what's helped me stay sober this period of time, first of all, high most is my higher power, number one. I surrendered and I said, I can't do this, I need your help. And then I said, okay. Then I surrendered to the group and said, I need your help too. And uh, this ego, that was not easy for me to do, ask for help. <clears throat> but when I finally asked for help, I finally surrendered, I finally got a sponsor, I finally told the truth to my sponsor. Um, and then I started helping others and taking commitments. Um, I managed to have a pretty damn good life, even when the you know things hit the fan, you know when stuff when life happens. I lost my mom, my dad, my dog. It's a bad country song since I've got sober, you know. But I'm here because of the grace of God and because of you guys and listening to your stories and hearing the similarities. I don't hear that much difference anymore. It's all similarities. Uh, so I just keep coming back because I know it works. I just got to keep doing uh, exactly what I was taught to do when I walked in the rooms and, I, and then I get to have a life today. So thank you all for sharing my birthday with me tonight. All right, so we got an 11, how about 12, 13, 14, 15, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. It's Dan's birthday. Let's sing happy birthday to Dan. thinking uh, for like the last five minutes what I was going to say. <laughs> now, I mean, really what I wanted to say was welcome to the new people that came up for the because I was talking to Brian before the meeting and he said he had a year and a half and I said that's a long time. You know, even though I've been sober 34 years, that didn't impress me when I got here. I was, I went to the Lark Ellen Men's Thursday night meeting and the speaker meeting for 10 years in a row, my first 10 years, and I was like 28 years old, and these guys were like 40 years sober, and I really didn't relate to them, and, but this one guy, Mike, he was the coffee maker on Saturday nights, he had 90, nine months, and I thought, man, if Mike could get nine months, maybe I can, you know, and so you chip people, you got, you know, all of us are showing the way for someone else but mike i don't know if mike's even sober anymore but i know i stayed sober no matter what through thick and thin you know there's been plenty of excuses to drink over the last 34 years no good reasons though and um what i was going to say was uh you know i was eight days sober and i followed my dad into alcoholics anonymous and uh 
my ex-wife kicked me out and I, I asked my dad, I go, can I stay at your house if I stay sober? And he said, you can stay at my house whether you stay sober or not. Mm -hmm. And so I think that helped me a lot. You know, it was like, I didn't have to stay sober, but I got to stay sober. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I was going to that Saturday night meeting and they made me assistant coffee maker. What an honor, right? Saturday night, 28 years old. Every Saturday night for like I did that for three years. I did it, and I was I loved it, man. Those guys, those old guys, they taught me everything I know today, and some good, some bad. But uh, I'm grateful to be sober today. Thank you. Yeah. All right, congratulations, Dan. Okay, so 34. Do we have 35? 35 to 40. How about 40 to 50? 40 to line. Okay, I want to thank Valerie so much for bringing the cake tonight. Valerie! Uh, appreciate it. And then we do need a, a cake brought the fourth Friday of the month. If someone's willing to take that commitment once a month to bring cake, please see me after the end of the meeting. I'd appreciate that, and I will be serving cake shortly. And now let's bring up Christine. Bonus. Hi, I'm Christine, and I am your phoneless person. Hot off the presses. I just printed some new ones. This is a great resource for newcomers. Um, and for those of you that just want to update your information, you can do that. There's a pen here, and I'll just put it right there on the table. And thank you for letting me be of service. Tommy G. My name is Tommy G, and I'm an alcoholic. Tommy G! Um, also, your literature representative. So we have literature here, big books, 12 and 12s. We even have some of those uh, fancy grapevines, uh, pamphlets. If you guys need anything, if you need a big book or a 12 12, come see me after the meeting. Thank you for the interview. Hi, I'm Sean. Thank you very much. And now, uh, yeah, we still have a couple of positions open. You know, the uh, lettuce and tomato and the onion chopper. And we need a, a backup for Frank to help him put the cheese on and so forth to, in case he doesn't, um, something happens and then someone else can back him up. You know, like, a, you'll be honored with that position. It'll be honorable. All right, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce a lady that I met at the conference, and I see her in a lot of conferences. Something special comes up, and she's there. She's all the way from Covina. Candace, please. Hi, my name's Candace, and I'm an alcoholic. I got a luncheon invitation this week, and it, it shows exactly how old I am because it was from a mortuary. <laughs> it was like, oh my God. No. Um, I came to the program in uh, first time in 1972 and went straight to Al-Anon, which I learned a lot of good things in Al-Anon, and I qualified for Al-Anon also, and ACA and a bunch of other programs I qualified for. I began to drink when I was quite young. I was like 14 years old and um, like many people, had quite 
a miserable, you know, background of poverty and um, a sexual abuse. So I was quite, uh, you know, ripe for a drink. And um, amazingly, uh, the very first time I drank, um, God, I think I was seven years old the first time I had a drink, and I, I did not, you know, get drunk. But um, I remember kind of pretending to be drunk, you know, because I was in love with the idea of drinking. I used to dream about myself with them. Then it would be a 50s one. You know, my mom was a 50s one with uh, big hair and, you know, standout lace dresses and uh, drinking out of champagne uh, glasses. And that's what I daydreamed about. It wasn't being a Girl Scout or traveling the world or, you know, going to college or having a boyfriend. It was about drinking, you know, and it was very early on. And I uh, drank from excess, you know, to excess every time I ever had an opportunity to drink to excess. Um, in fact, I did a lot of things to excess, you know, if it felt good, do it warm, do it twice, do it four times, I don't know, and then I'd go out on Saturday or Thursday morning, and um, that's kind of the way it was. Um, I had very poor self-esteem, and uh, poor self-esteem uh, really limits your life. It did mine. It limited everything. When uh, I, I never considered myself, like, intelligent enough to go to, uh, like, college. So I never had any of those kind of dreams. They were little bitty dreams. And, um, you know, drinking was the only time I was comfortable in my skin. I was quite comfortable in my skin when I drank and um, was not shy, you know. And um, that just carried on. The first time I got married, which I, I wish we should do a countdown on how many marriages people have had, you know. Because I, I know somebody's got more than I have. I just don't know who they are. But, um, I had four myself before I gave it all up. But um, too drunk, too sober. Didn't work any better either way. <laughs> um, but I got married my first time to a person I wasn't in love with anymore. You know, don't know if I ever was. And because um, he asked me. I don't even know if he asked me, to tell the truth. I can't remember him really asking me. I just remember it happened. And... Um, at the time, I had moved back to Oklahoma. Uh, we came back to California, and uh, I lived in Glendora, which I live in now. And um, I started hiding, you know, hiding my drinking. And uh, that's it. I always hid my drinking when I was with somebody else, because I was always with somebody that didn't want me to drink. And I don't know how that ended up happening. How does that happen? You know, when you want to drink all the time, but that's what happened. So. Um, you know, I hid it all the time as much as I can. But sometimes, you know, you come home too drunk to hide it and forget to take most of your clothes off and sleep somewhere inappropriate and, you know, wake up the next morning and wonder, you know, how mad your husband's going to be at you. Uh, of course, he was a drunk, too, and gambled, but that didn't seem to matter. He didn't want me to drink, and, and I honestly didn't feel like I should because I had this good Catholic background, you know, or the desire to be a good Catholic, <laughs> which I was not, but uh, the desire to, you know. So um, my ex-husband, he's dead, but um, he actually had a car wreck and actually killed someone. This is back in the 70s. And uh, he got a court card and had to come to AA, and it was just a nightmarish time. I can't think of how it was for the family, what it happened to. 
but it, it was nightmarish for myself and um, my husband too. And he got sober through that, and I went along with him to meetings. Um, and it took me two years to finally quit drinking. And then I, you know, I did my inventory like I'm told. And uh, miraculously, if you do your inventory and then you keep taking ten steps, you can pretty much stay sober. You know, which is I, th I found that uh, startling myself. Um, but I, you know, I always had really mean sponsors. <laughs> the women were really mean then, and uh, most of them were way older than I was because I was only 22 when I got to the program. And uh, but I think that's what I needed. You know, I was kind of a little scaredy cat, and I was uh, afraid to cross them. So I just uh, did what they told me. And I learned to enjoy my life sober. You know, go to meetings and go to conventions. Um, I learned how to go to school. I went to school because I had been a, a dropout from early age. Uh, another no self-esteem. And so I went to school sober. I went to college sober. Uh, I decided I wanted a state job, you know, because I couldn't think any higher than a state job, <laughs> you know. And I'm not running my job down. It, it was a good job. But um, I couldn't think on any other level. That was the highest I thought I could possibly attain. And so I did all the things to get a state job. You know, it's like I was taught to do. I write down what I want and uh, try to find out how to get it and then do the things that are indicated to get there. So that's when I went to college. I thought if I had a little degree, I'd be more likely to get a job. And I was right about that. And uh, this is how the program works, though. I got a state job, okay? I finally got a state job. And then I wasn't getting a regular paycheck, but nobody told me why, and I really didn't know why, but I got a paycheck. But it didn't look like everybody else's paycheck, but I didn't know why. And about, it was about almost a year into my job, they told me right after they hired me, I got fired. But everybody liked me at the center and they had an independent budget, so they just kept paying me illegally. So I was there a whole year before I found out I was fired. And then I had to go before court, you know, the little judge panel. And um, they listened to me and then they said something that made me say, oh, so you're telling me I can't win my job back? And they said, yes, that's what we're telling you. Well, of course, I just won my job back because that was prejudice. You know, they hadn't had time to get together and talk about it. So um, I pretty much kept a state job until uh, I, you know, had to retire. And uh, so that job I was fired from, I kept for over 20 years, 20, 25 years, something like that, you know. They kept paying me, I got retirement. Even though I had to go early, they gave me early retirement, you know. Um, it was just amazing, but that's how, the, the, that's how it works for me in AA. Really, I just do the best I can with what I have to work with, which is not too much. And, uh, you know, things just seem to work out okay. Uh, not very long ago, I was hit by a car in a, a crosswalk, about a year and a half ago, a year ago, April. And um, right after that, my dog died a few months later. And uh, nobody would give me a dog. It was the damnedest thing. I thought dogs were going like hotcakes, but nobody would give me a dog. You know, I went to, you have to go through all these hoops to get a dog. So I went and got this one dog, and that dog was just crazy and batshit. That dog was really crazy. It's the cutest little dog you ever saw, but you just have to sit and hold it all day because it was so terrified. So I took that, I got, you know, took the dog back, cried my eyes out. There's another couple months before I could get another dog. It might even have been more than that, but they didn't want to give me a dog. 
So I finally get this other dog. Um, that dog was really bad. You know, you know, if you don't learn how to work through something, me, if I don't learn how to work through something the first time, I get to do it again and again and again. So I got one minute. And uh, so I got this other dog. And uh, she's crazy and bad shit. She has to have a little tranquilizer now and then. And um, but she's the most loving, sweet dog I've ever had in my life. So I learned how to work through that. And one more thing, and I'm going to shut up. Uh, at 25 years sober, uh, it took me two years to do this. I got drunk. And I drank for six and a half years every single day. And uh, I came back to the program unwillingly. I, I don't know why I came back. Nobody was trying to get me to come back. I just had to come back for some reason. And um, now I've been sober over 17 years. The one thing I want to say about that is when you go out and drink, I lost everything I had. And when I came back, I didn't get everything back. But I got enough back where I like being sober real well. So thank you. Thank you, Candace. Appreciate it very much. Uh, I'd like to introduce a person that I see in conventions a lot and always says hi to me and uh, incredible. You know, we have a lot of people in AA that you would call, you know, just heavy duty workmen. And here's one. Come on, Larry. Come on up here. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I've never been to this meeting before. I think I met Jimmy one time at one of the morning meetings. But I was thinking it's probably going to be about 20 people and happy of falling asleep. And, you know, why, why am I wasting my time, you know? But Les has been trying to get me up here, and I wasn't able to do it until recently. I just put my wife in assisted living for about a month now. And, and so I'm, I can do more things that I would like to do. And, and Les knows that service has been the the backbone of Miami But anyway, I'm just a garden for Roger Drunk. I've never beat up any cops. I've never robbed any banks or you know, crashed cars into other people. My Camaro, 67 Camaro first year once, into a telephone pole. <clears throat> and the cops felt sorry for me. They asked me if I'd been drinking. And I had about that much out of a pint of whiskey and a couple of cans of beer, six pack in the back seat missing. And, and they says, oh, that's it? I said, yeah, I've been drinking all day. They drove me to the city limits. How about that? You know? Maybe they didn't want to do all the reports. Everybody hear me okay? Okay. Because my wife's telling me, you know, you don't speak loud enough. And, you know, God love her. But anyway, I'm, 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 a, I'm a blessed man. Uh, I've been sober since my first meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous. Beginner's meeting in Covina. It used to be on Wednesday night and gone. Don Babb, his son Mike is here today. Don Babb and a guy named Jim Russell started that meeting in 1972 when it was still going when I got here. And I stayed with it for 30 years until it finally folded. The last night I was there, there were 35 people in attendance and I had more sobriety than the rest of the room combined. And you just can't have a meeting like that. You gotta have people with five years and three years and you can't just have all newcomers. You know? So anyway, um, I got a job in 1955, I was 14 years old, in a grocery store liquor department. Need I tell you more? 
I now had total access to all the booze, cigarettes, and dirty magazines I could steal. And I had them in my locker at school. Man, if they had checked that locker out, I'd have been screwed. <clears throat> but, uh, and I drank about a year and a half. And by the time I left there, it was one of us because I had acquired that taste for alcohol. And I'm not one of these people who say, well, I, I drink because of this, or I drink. Hell, I didn't need a reason to drink. I just drank all the time. One time I told my wife I was going to get drunk because it was my birthday. She says, when did you need a reason? So that gives you an idea right there. But uh, <clears throat> my current life. But anyway, uh, I went in the Air Force in 1959 and made it through. I just breezed through basic training because I had been in the California Cadet Corps in my freshman year in high school, which was a military type thing. And I knew about military history, how to shoot, how to march. And I, I just breezed through it. They picked me for tech school and they sent me to, as they pronounce it there, Amarillo, Texas. And they had a place on the base called the Beer Garden. And I was down there every night. We had freedom of the base, go anywhere we wanted on the base, movie theater, bowling alley. <clears throat> it wasn't like basic training. <clears throat> and. Uh, Stagger back to the barracks. You know, Armed Forces Day, 1959, they said I could go anywhere I wanted on the base, all of us. I got to march in the, in the parade. They you know, was a good marcher. And so I headed for the WAF barracks to make some new friends. And then I went over to the uh, NCO club, and I was sitting around with a bunch of young guys. And, of course, I was a journeyman drinker by now, and I was ordering these exotic drinks like Singapore slings, and they just got wasted, and I got drunk, and we all went back to the barracks. You know, about five o'clock in the afternoon and passed out and only one difference. They stayed out. I got up, went back to the NCO club and did it again. I mean, that was my forte, you know. Anyway, I, I was uh, sent home. I mean, not home, but I was sent to my first assignment in Spokane, Washington, a B-52 base. And I was there for about two years and I, I met her. We got married in uh, February 1960 in Sandpoint, Idaho, the same uh, time they were uh, having the Winter Olympics here in California. And I knew about six weeks into that marriage, I'd, I'd made a horrible mistake. You know, I, sh I had no business being married, but you do the best you can. And it wasn't appropriate back then to get a divorce just because they didn't like each other. There had to be <laughs> more, you know, complicated circumstances. And we had a little girl in 1961. And in August of 1961, I got orders for a missile base in Simbach, Germany. Same week they started building the Berlin Wall. Now, I don't know how many people here tonight are old enough to remember the Berlin Wall, but it was a scary time. And I was going to a missile base, and you know those missiles from Russia were going to be aimed at that base, just like ours were aimed at theirs. But uh, I had got promoted after those orders were cut because I was doing very good. And they didn't want me in that assignment. They could have found me in assignment of base. Hell, they had 4,000 men on that base. But they were looking for people to go to England and, and to cross-train into postal and courier. And uh, they said, would you like to go to England? And I said, oh, my God, are you kidding me? They speak my language. You know, I mean, I was going to be trying to learn German. <laughs> and I said, plus that, my mother was family was from the Lake District in London, so I got on a TWA flight and flew to London, and the first place I was assigned over there was a place called Denham Studios, and again, some of you probably have an old enough memory of the old J. Arthur Rank movies, where they hit the gong, 
while they were still doing soundtracks there, we, we'd go in the same gate, they'd go to the right, and we'd go to the left. And, and there were no planes with support base. And uh, I was stationed there for a, a year, and then they closed it down in 1962, and I got to move off base. So here I was, you know, my wife, oh, by the way, my wife couldn't go with me because I had a travel ban because of the Berlin situation, and it, it lasted a year. And by that time, she was dating another man, and I, I was doing my thing, a young man in a foreign country. I don't have to tell you in detail what I did. I just did everything you can think of, except drugs. I never got into to drugs. And it was, it's funny, the guy that, one of the guys that she was dating, uh, I was at a meeting in, at, where the original beanbag was in Azusa, and a guy from Pomona brought this guy to the meeting, and I wouldn't have known him except he had a very unusual name, which I won't repeat. And I knew it was him, and I thought, oh my God, that's the guy that my wife was going out with, and I, I grabbed an old-timer and took him outside. Remember, anybody remember Old Crazy, Joe? And uh, took him out, and he says, well, how do you feel? I says, I don't have any bad feelings. He says, well, what the hell are we doing out here? Let's go back in. And I never approached the guy and told him who I was. I didn't want to, he was new, and I didn't want to ruin the chance of him getting sober. I never saw him again anyway, so just funny how uh, things turn up like that. Anyway, I, I lived off base. I had a brand new car, and I was in London every chance I got. And oh my God, what fun I had! I mean, I could just take. I, I'm probably the only person here tonight that's lost a driver's license in two countries. Anybody else? <laughs> because of my drinking and driving. And they told me at Martlebow Mascots Court, you can never drive in this country again unless you get an international license. That's what they thought of me. But I got uh, three Article 15s in 45 days. If you were in the military, you know what that was. They're not as bad as a court martial, but they're not good. And I was on my way home. And, and I wanted to. And, and just before that, my commander called me in his office and told me what a wonderful example I was for all the people in that squadron. And I would have been a staff sergeant the next promotion cycle, but I never made it. I, I was on my way home by the time that promotion cycle came around and my roommate got that stripe I was supposed to get. And it took me until about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago to finally forgive myself for that. See, I come from a great military family history. I had an ancestor in the Revolutionary War. I had a, a great grandfather that carried the flag in the Civil War. And they were the most respected because they didn't carry a gun. And I had two uncles that fought at Guadalcanal, which was the first encounter with the Japanese in the, in the uh, Pacific War. And then came me, you know. Now, the only good news is I did get an honorable discharge because my on-duty conduct was superb. And if anybody challenges that, come on home with me. I'll show you the orders, what they thought of me before all this crap came crashing down. You know? uh, one of the things I did is I slugged a British master, which, which you're not supposed <laughs> to do. And, and I had done it once before, and the guy dropped the charges. So, and then all those accidents and all the crap I did. But anyway, came home. June of 64, August of 65, I got my first drunk driving on Valley Boulevard. A cop said I pulled out in the oncoming traffic. I was in a place called the Copper Digger. Anybody ever drink there? And they, I wouldn't submit to sobriety tests. And back then, I don't know if they still do it. I don't even want to know. Uh, they would take over your license for six months, even if you were found not guilty at, at the court. So they took away my license for six months. But guess what? My mommy knew the judge and wrote the judge a letter, and I got my license back. And then I won a motorcycle in a contest at a church drawing 
And so I used it to pay for my first 502, and I didn't learn anything from it. Now, 1967 was not a very good year. I actually got three convictions in 45 days for drunk driving. You would not want to do that today. You're going to prison if you get that many convictions in 45 days. But back then, they didn't have the computers they have today, and they were in three different courts. So this judge didn't know about that one and this and so forth. And I had a, well, again, my mom knew the, the judge. This was a different court. Uh, I think she used to babysit his kids. And I got to go in and talk to the judge. And he told me, look, I can't save your license, but I can keep you out of jail. But I got about a $2,000 fine, which wasn't, wasn't bad for back then. I hear it's tremendous today. And I had a lawyer working on the other one. But prior to that, I was going to leave the state because I, oh, on my last 502 that I actually got arrested for, excuse me, I was on my way to Vegas to marry a barmaid. And no big deal except I'd look this woman up every six months and she'd always take me back. And Thanksgiving Day 1967, I found her. I hit all the bars in Almonia and I found her. And I got drunk enough to propose to her. So. I stayed there all drink, drinking, and then we headed out for the, and we went to the Canyon Inn. Remember the Canyon Inn up in the Zeusa Canyon? Oh, my God, can you imagine driving down there drunk? And then we headed for Vegas, and they pulled me over just as I got across the San Bernardino County line. And they almost let me go because I was in a, I told you I wrecked that 6-7 Camaro, and I was in a, a loan car from Clippinger Chevrolet. And I told them I wasn't used to the steering. It was different steering than mine. And a couple of wind blows out there, too. And they almost let me go. But thank God they arrested me. It was the last arrest I got for drunk driving. But thank God I didn't have to marry that woman. Not that she was getting anything special. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? I, I look back now. She was 11 years older than me, which means that she would be 93 years old. And on and on and on and on. She was... She was from the South, and I didn't have any high regard for Southerners, and it was just all bad information in my head. I don't feel that way anymore, but I, I thought they were all dumb, just walking around with a piece of straw in their mouth. You know? And But anyway, I didn't have to leave the state, and uh, I didn't get to Alcoholics Anonymous for another seven years. But that's the first time I heard about AA because this judge suggested that I go. Back then, they didn't have the court card. Somebody mentioned the court card, I think, Candace. And that didn't come up till the early 70s. And I actually met at the long-timers in, in uh, Pomona on uh, Memorial Weekend. I actually met uh, Judge Emerson from Downey and Buddy McDonald from the Holy Ground. Everybody know where the Holy Ground was? They came up with the idea of the, uh, the court card system. And I got to meet both those guys, and they signed one of my books for me. By the way, I, I love archives, and I love AA history. But, uh, so, anyway, uh, my first wife divorced me, moved back to Sandpoint, Idaho, and then eventually to Alaska. Uh, she went up there during the, when they were building the pipeline, and she died there about seven years ago of, of lung cancer. And my, my daughter told me that it was me and my Air Force guy's fault that she died of lung cancer because they got her started smoking. Now, I haven't had a cigarette in 48 years. I mean, you know, come on, you you got to do it on your own. You can't blame somebody else. But anyway, I I, uh, I drank another seven years, and I, and I drank and drove on a revoked license. That last uh, drunk driving, I got a conviction. They took it away for three years. I didn't care. 
I only got stopped once and I went to court and I got off lightly, a $100 fine, no big deal. And then I remarried in 1971. If it wasn't for that fact, I might not be here tonight because she got sick and tired of being sick and tired, not me. I was still having fun. I'll admit this some of the time. I won't say all of the time, but I was still having fun some of the time. And you know, when you're out and they hear those sirens and they don't know if it's you that's been in a wreck and you don't come home and all that. And I know you girls aren't gonna believe this. I really was sleeping in my car, not other places. I just was in the back seat of that car one night, and I had little tiny cars. I had Camaros and Volkswagens, you know, and man, there's no room. And Norm Elby used to talk about getting that trick neck on the armrest. I got Norm Elby neck because of those, you know, small cars. But one night I, let, I forgot to lock the car at the Jolly Jug restaurant in South Delmonte, and a guy rolled me and threw the, thank God he threw the vault in the bushes. And we were going on vacation that week, so the wife wasn't too happy about that. But after about three years of me, she finally gave me an ultimatum on December 11th, 1974. She says, I don't want to uh, live like this anymore. And if you do it, she didn't say, there's a door. She says, I'll help you find a place. That's pretty nice, don't you think? Pretty loving. And like any dumb shit alcoholic, I says, okay, give me a couple of days to think about it. I mean, I was only 34 years old, had that 67 Camaro, thought I could dance, you know. Thought I was hot stuff. You girls were out there waiting for me. I mean, you know, why not? I came to my senses, and two days later, I was actually the next night, I was driving home from Whittier, Bullen, to Covina. And it's a long drive, 20, 20, 25 miles. And all I said to God that night was, help me get this car home safe. I didn't want to get arrested. I hadn't been arrested in seven years. And by the way, I hadn't been to church since 1959. I wasn't a very spiritual person in that time frame. And then when the crap hit the fan, I never said, oh, God, get me out of this one. Why would I? I didn't believe. I was somewhere between an atheist and an agnostic. But as I drove home, my whole drinking career just went flip, flip, flip. Oh, my God. I did all that. And I don't have time to share all of it with you. But And, and I finally got a sense, maybe alcohol's got something to do with it, you know. And I know we say, oh, it's just a symptom. Well, let, let me tell you what. You believe what you want. I never want to forget what alcohol did to me. It wasn't just a damn symptom. So anyway, uh, I went, I got the next day, and it was Friday the 13th, and my wife said, uh, I just want you to know your whole family's behind you. And I didn't know anybody knew. She had talked to him, and she had talked about leaving me. And uh, the family doctor asked me how much I drank, and I'd switched from my favorite Canadian whiskey to uh, beer only about the last three, four years. And I said, ah, oh, I'd probably drink three, four cases of beer a week. It was more like six or seven. And he says, well, that didn't sound too bad. <laughs> so he must have been one of us, I mean. And he sent me to see this psychiatrist over in El Monte by the airport, a, a hospital called Sacred Heart. They were just popping up, these recovery hospitals. The Spirit of Arrowhead and, you know, Raleigh Hills and all these places were popping up. And he wanted to chuck me in this hospital. Well, fortunately for me, I had a lot of fear of hospitals in I'm, I'm a polio survivor. You talk about being a blessed man. And I had a lot of childhood illnesses I was in hospitals, and they scared the crap out of me. Now, I don't have that fear anymore. I can go visit you or, you know, whatever. And the other thing is, is they wanted you to take value. I don't have a drugstore. I didn't want to get into taking any kind of tranquilizer or whatever you call them. I don't know what they are. And 
because I called my mother and asked her whether she's a nurse, and she said, well, that's a tranquilizer. I think that's what she said. And so as a result of that, I, I decided not to check into that hospital. And he says, well, you better call Alcoholics Anonymous. So now this is the second important person who's told me I should call in. Hey, that judge is 67, and now this guy. And you want to hear the neat side of that story. Years later, when I got involved in h and I was the panel board chairman, which means you get to set up the new panels, I got a set of panel up in that hospital. They had changed it from adult patients to adolescents. And me and George Gomez, oh, I love George Gomez, and I started that panel. And we only had to go ourselves just once, once a month, but we loved it so much we went every week. Only place I ever heard of, kids came in off the street to go to a panel inside an institution because they wanted a piece of that. We told them, hey, you're not going to get the share unless all of my people that I brought share and then the patients that want to share and then if there's time you can share. And what a deal that I, I got, to, got to do that. But anyway, uh, I called Alcoholics some, sometime in the next five days. You had to call the LA Central office that was out on Harvard Street in LA. And I don't know if the person knew our area very well, but I didn't get to a meeting for five days, and that was the Wednesday night beginners meeting I, I told you about earlier. And I walked in and I saw that coffee bar, and I flashed back to England. I'd seen this documentary where they were trying to get people off of booze, and they let them sit in a, at a bar and, and order what drink they wanted. They take their drink, and then they go, and they shock them. I thought, oh my God, they didn't shock me. And somebody saw me and says, are you new looking for the meeting? I said, yeah, I don't know how I knew I was a newcomer. You know, just in the room next door. And it was standing room only. Uh, they enlarged the club since then. And of course, they went around the room. Everybody said they were Elteen, Elatod, Eladog, just passing through, alcoholic, you know. And I thought, oh my God, there's a bunch of alcoholics in there. So I put my hand in my wallet, you know, because I didn't <laughs> And they started sharing, and they started sharing crazy stuff, and people were laughing and stuff. I thought it was pretty serious. I said, oh, my God. I fell in love, not only my first night, my first 20 minutes. And if you don't believe that, I never left. I couldn't wait to get to my next meeting, which was the Friday night meeting in Covina, which I will be there in another hour and a half. And I've been going to that meeting almost 49 years now and i've been sitting in the same seat because they moved the, the club from the front of the street to the back i've been sitting in the same seat almost 42 years and you know newcomers will tell you that oh it's good to see larry sitting in that same seat they they'd see that when they go to meetings that, and anyway but i didn't get a sponsor right away and less than i had the same sponsor uh ray goodman for six months and I don't recommend that, okay? But you know, I was a smart ass, and I said, okay, what's the second part of the first step say? Our lives are manageable. Doesn't that say that? Why, why don't we turn my life over to one of you if you're a manageable too? Isn't that stupid newcomer thinking? <laughs> Thank God the people in the community says, Lair, Lair, Lair. I said, call Lair. You can't do this on your own. I did myself a favor. I went to the book studies. I went to the step studies. They had a great step study event, didn't they? And they really talked some heavy stuff when they got into the inventory. And I wrote an inventory at two and a half months sober, which is pretty much unheard of in that time frame. And I shared it with Red Warren. Remember Red Warren? He got sober in 1966. And he gave me high praise. I said, oh my God, Larry, you did it. 
did a great job on this thing, man. Oh, well, thanks. And, and I didn't leave anything out. By the way, there's a difference between forgetting something, or resentment, or whatever, and leaving it out purposely. We had a guy, again, his name will remain anonymous, who did drunk every five years because he left this one big thing out of his inventory. And it, all, it says in the book, all we got to do is share with God and another human being. He got so tired of getting drunk, he shared it in front of the whole Friday night meeting. And it was bad. Let me tell you, it was horrible. And I won't tell you what it was. But he stayed sober till he, he passed away. So that's just a little thought for you if you're new. You, you're, you're not that unique. We're all the same. You know, we all did the same crap. Anyway, uh, I got a sponsor at six months, and, and he wanted to hear part of my inventory. And I was having trouble in the work area. That was my work, the worst area ever. Oh, God, I did so many inventories in the work area. And, and I, but I ended up staying there 39 years, so it worked out for me. And uh, so he listened to my inventory, and so I did a good job on that, too. But I'll tell you why, why I feel like a, a blessed man. If you wanted to get involved in service, there was no better place, as far as I'm concerned, than either right here in the San Gabriel Valley. In 1975, they decided they wanted our own central office. And I got to go to the early planning meetings and see that thing put together. I'm the only one left. And wow, to see it. And then over the years, I got to serve on the board a couple of times I got to be the board chairman and I got to do public relations a couple uh, terms where you get to send the kids into the high schools. And I could have gone, but why do they want to hear a 40, year, 50 year old man? I'd send the kids in. I'd go in, in with them and introduce them. And I just love that commitment. And I have one teacher from Northview High used to just call me direct. She wouldn't even call somebody all of a sudden anymore. She says, hey, Larry, can you bring a panel over? You know, And I, and I just, I just love it. So, we had that. And then in uh, 1985, Mac Brewster, Waterfront Mac, was the chairman of the Southern California Convention. And he started the planning meetings there at the 502 Club. And I would say since then, probably at least a third of all the planning meetings have been there at the 502 Club once a month you meet with the convention together. And so there was another great opportunity for people to get involved. And I did. I went to my first convention in 86. I was busy with central office and H&I and, uh, and I think I was almost 11 years sober and I, the first meeting I ever went to was a marathon, marathon meeting. Patty Cush was lead, leading it. George and Kathy Friend were passing out the tickets. You had to take a ticket and they call on you if, if your ticket number was called. But Patty asked me to get there and read my first convention and I was hooked. The next year I was on the convention with Harvey Engers. Oh, wow, what a deal. And I, I'm still on that uh, committee today, 30, 36 years later. Ray Goodman said, find your niche in Alcoholics Anonymous. And service has been my niche. Now, sure, I sponsor some people. Uh, yeah, I've done the steps. You know, I, I, I pray. I don't meditate very often. I'm not very good at that. I'll be the first to admit that. But uh, again, Norm Elpick says, you've got to buy the whole package. The meetings alone won't keep you sober. You know, reading the book alone will not keep you sober. you got to do the whole thing as often as you can. And it says right in the book, if you get away from prayer, just get back to it as soon as you can. It, it gives you a little, you know, release right there. So I have been 
an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time now. I remember one night I, w I walked into the, and I, before my wife got sick, she's got Alzheimer's, I don't know if I mentioned that, she's in assisted living now for about a month. Uh, I would be at my meetings an hour early, you know, all of them. And I walked into the 502 club and this, this lady says, oh Larry, I'm so glad you're here. I says, why is that? She says, there's a guy here that needs a ride to a recovery place and nobody will take it. And they were in there shooting pool and playing cards and <laughs> Donkey Kong and all that. And nobody would take this guy. And they and she says, and he, you gotta get him there by seven o'clock. I think it was seven o'clock, maybe it was eight o'clock. Or they'll give the bed away. So I'm thinking, oh, where, where is it? Mid Valley, which I had panels in and I had some pull there. Oh, or maybe, uh, you know, Cider House in Norwalk wouldn't be too bad. I used to live right down the street from Cider House. I used to go in there and talk to the nuts wow. <laughs> through the fence. <laughs> and who knew you years later to have panels there? Oh, what a treat that was. But anyway, I says, okay, where is he? And she pointed him out. She says, are you sure? She says, yeah, I called it in myself. Because I thought this guy just wanted to ride somewhere and he was drunk. <clears throat> and uh, I says, okay, where is it? She says, Charlie Street, Coastal Mesa. On a Friday night. <laughs> but I took them and I stayed sober. I don't know what happened to the rest of those people in the club. You know, I stayed sober. Three days later, he was back in Kavita drunk again. But it don't matter. You know, we do what we have to do. So, anyway, I, uh, I got into the amends, and one of the first amends I made was to the Air Force Aid Society. I had uh, borrowed money from them to come home on the emergency leave in 1962, and, you know, from England to LA. Now the Air Force will fly you to the port, so I, they flew me to New Jersey. Then I caught a hop from uh, New Jersey to Travis Air Force Base up in the Bay Area. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, I, I had when I left the Air Force, see, I tied in the Air Force with the AIDS Society. And it's like the Red Cross, they're two different things. And I says, I'm not going to make those last two payments. Well, I went to the Azusa recruiting office, that I don't think it's there anymore, and I told them the story, and they says, okay, give us couple days we'll check it out and they says yeah you're right it's you own 38 dollars and so that was one of my first financial amends and i didn't have many financial amends because i was very if i thought i owed it i paid it as a matter of fact when i drove across country when i got out of the air force i was going through lorraine ohio and i have this memory and a guy named patrick m jones was the guy in my squadron at fairchild and i'd borrowed 20 bucks from him and never paid him back and Patrick M. Jones and Lorraine O'Hall, you'd think there wouldn't be that many, but there were three. <laughs> and I, I got a hold of him, and he, I told him I came by to, you know, pay him that debt. He says, oh, my God, and he took me out and got me drunk, you know, so whatever. <laughs> but I was very good. If I thought I owed it, I would pay it. But, uh, oh, yeah, and I, I got to tell you, the, the one resentment that I carried into these rooms, you know, I had a guy wreck that 67 Camaro later and never pay me back. I had uh, people borrow largest sums of money from me and never pay back. I forgave them a long time ago, but here's what happened. In 1957, in front of the Norwalk Theater where I grew up, this guy made me look bad in front of my girlfriend, Myra Kaplan. And the truth be told, I was too chicken shit to fight him. So instead, I carried this grudge. And I'd get drunk. I'm not talking about once, twice. I'm talking about over the years. I'd get drunk. One of these days, I'm going to get him. And then I'd go, what if he gets the first punch in? And it was just nuts. Nuts. And the day I went back to make personal and financial amends to the guy that owned the liquor department, 
I found out this guy I hated so much had a shop two doors down. You think that's a coincidence? I do not. I think that's a God shot. And I knew I couldn't leave Norwalk that day unless I attempted to make that amend. And of course, I walked down there, and he wasn't there. I had to wait about 20 minutes, and I was pacing the floor, clammy hands, and he walked in. I thought I was going to faint. He knew me because we went to high school together for three years. And I told him the story, and I was in it, and if I didn't try to clear the wreckage of the past, I could drink. And he listened to me intently. He says, oh, my God, Larry, I'm so glad you got your life in order. You're welcome to my shop any time. But I got to tell you something. I don't remember the incident. <laughs> I carried that grudge all those years for nothing. Nothing. And that's, think about that. But you know what's neat? I've been, you know me, I get involved. And I've been involved with my old high school. Even though I didn't get to graduate there, my family moved my senior year. So I finished up at a Royal High School in Omani. I got involved with the reunion committee for my class. And not only did I get on that committee and I got to, to uh, research and find most of the people that we found, the guy taught me how to do it. And you know, talk to people I hadn't talked to in many, many years. Oh, it was so much fun. They asked me to MC the first one. I thought, wow, I didn't even graduate with them. And they wanted me to MC that. And then the next year came around. I says, okay, who's going to do it this year? They said, you. I got to do five in a row. I got one of the highlights of my life to get to MC those things. And I just had so much fun doing that old memories and meeting people. And oh my God, what a, what a deal. But just recently, I, I went to an all class picnic in Norwalk at the old high school. And this guy that I had this resentment against was there, and I didn't see him, and his wife came running over, Larry, Larry, he's over here right out, he wants to see you. And, and I shared that story with him, and he, it was like a blank, he didn't remember. And, but it, it's okay, and I just, I just went like that, I said, oh, it's so good to see you. I, it just made me feel so good. And if that ain't enough, the lady involved in that, Myra Kaplan, now lives in Washington, Auburn, Washington, and I found out she had just lost her husband, and she was my third girlfriend. And one time when I was home on leave, I went up to her house in uniform. She came running out, Larry, 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 you know. She was ready to take me back. <clears throat> and I made, a, I made a date with her that night. But see, drinking was more important, and I never made that date. And I, for years, I wondered if I owed her amends. And I asked Ray, I said, do you think I, I could get a hold of her? I said, do you think I should call her? She says, no, leave her alone. She's not going to remember but anyway, I've had I've had about ten conversations with her in the last three four months, and I've sent her some uh, memorabilia from the high school. She just loves it. We just had the most wonderful time chatting uh, old memories, and she doesn't remember the incident, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. But like I said, as a result of this program, uh, I've I've been going to two meetings: the uh, beanbag here in Glendora on Tuesday and the Friday night speakers meeting. My whole, uh, my whole sobriety, and uh, I got to stay with the same company for 39 years. And I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you why how I was able to finally forgive myself about leaving the Air Force the way I did. I had to buy the whole package. I had to look at the big picture. If I hadn't come home in June '64, I wouldn't have got the job I did and stayed 39 years. I met my wife at work. We've been married 53 years this year. That wouldn't happen. And she's the one that gave me the ultimatum 
to do something about my drinking or we're going to help you find a place. So those things had to happen for me to be here tonight. It's just that simple, and I have no problem with it anymore. Like I said, I'm, I'm a blessed man. I love Alcoholics Anonymous tonight as much as I did that first meeting. I, I can't give you enough. You know, I've got to do everything from washing ashtrays. In the early days, they said, you wash ashtrays. And I said, why do I have to do it? They said, just do it. And three weeks later, if you'd gotten near those ashtrays, I'd have kicked your ass. You know, those are my ashtrays. And then at beginner's meeting, a guy had to give up the commitment because he took a night job. And I got to do his three months and then six months on my own. And he got to carry the tray around, remember my, and pour the coffee and the cream and the sugar and all that. They had to pry that pot out of my hand. And I love that commitment. And eventually I became the secretary of the meeting, and I, I secretaried that meeting three times over the years. And, and I, I've just had a wonderful life in alcoholics. It doesn't mean there haven't been issues. Uh, like I said, my wife had been diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's a few years ago, and she's probably in her fifth year now and not doing that good. And she still remembers me and all that. And then my daughter was stranded in Michigan, and now she's just about ready to make it back to Alaska. She's driving all the way from Michigan to Alaska. Oh, my God, what a nightmare that is. And I've still somebody else who just had eye surgery. I had a detached retina. So I had those three big things to deal with over the last year and not being able to get as many meetings as I want to. And thank God for Zoom. I go to a meeting in London, like I said, almost every day. And those people love me there. Not just because I have a lot of time, but because I share traditions with them and I and I share AA history with them. That, that's the stuff that I know. By the way, the traditions, if you didn't know that, um, weren't always <clears throat> in short form. The long form, which they read, I think, sometimes in November, because that's a tradition. A guy named uh, Jim Burrell, and another guy's name uh, escapes me right now, talk building, the, making the traditions into smaller words because they're never going to read them at the meetings if you have these, you know, these long-form tradition, and so he did. So anyway, it's, uh, I'm glad I was able to come tonight. Uh, it's a great meeting, and how many have fell asleep? I don't care. <laughs>